Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2317. Today we're going to have some fun. We're talking about Carol Shelby, Shelby memorabilia, and things you can get your hands on today. So be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm in Leewood, Kansas, with a very special guest by the name of Vernon Estes. Vernon, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? Hey, Mark, thanks for having me today, and I am I am more than ready. Absolutely. Now, we're going to be talking about something that is near and dear to my heart as well, because I had a Mustang back in the day, GT350. It was a clone, so don't get me too bad here about doing that, but I would have loved to have had a real one, but it was about as close as you could get. Now, before we get into why we're talking about Mustangs here at the beginning, what's one little thing that most people don't know about you, Vernon? Well, I think that most people don't know if they've only heard my name or seen like posts that I've made online. They don't know how young I am. So uh, I'm 32. I operate a business out of Kansas City. I mean, I've got an older name, Vernon. So like like we had talked about a little earlier, and I think most people don't know that I'm a younger enthusiast in the hobby and that I have three kids and a, and a, and a great wife here in Kansas City and just love these cars. Well, very cool. Yeah, uh, Vernon and I had a great talk before we turned on the microphones here today about his name and about his past. And I, I was the same way when the folks at Meekum turned me on to you and said, oh, we want you to have Vernon on the show. My first thought was, okay, this is probably an older gentleman that is into Shelby Mustangs, been collecting a long time. And then you sent me some pictures and I went, wait a minute. This guy looks like he's a youngster, at least especially compared to me. You could be my son. So uh, yeah, this is very cool, but we're going to learn a lot more about you. So let me give you a little introduction here. Vernon Esses is an automotive enthusiast stricken with a severe addiction to all things related to the cars produced by Carol Shelby's band of Southern California hot rodders, Shelby American. Vernon operates Vernon Estes Classics out of Kansas City. As he said, the company specializes in buying and selling some of the rarest and highest quality Shelby Mustangs, Cobras, and other performance Fords which exist in the world today. He's a collector of all things Shelby American, including factory literature, displays, objects, glove box literature, parts, and just about anything else that was produced in the 1960s in relationship to Carol Shelby and the company. And he's working with our friends at Meekum Auctions, offering Carol Shelby artifacts with over 450 items offered at no reserve. That's through May 23rd and the 30th. I'll put links to that auction as part of Meekum's on-time Meekum auction. So there are a lot of cool things. If you want something that is authentic and related to Carol Shelby, this is the place to go. We'll be back in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsors so they keep the gas in the tanks here. So buckle up. We're going to be talking with Vernon about Shelby. We'll be right back. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up, way up, but my usage was the same and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collectors Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collectors Insurance. I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations and found a winner 
that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Being a professional automotive technician today requires an understanding of technology, computers, and electrical systems that are highly advanced and very complex. Cars yeah is pleased to support TechForce Foundation. It's one of our charities of choice and its efforts to help young people pursue the technical education and careers as automotive techs. Through scholarships, grants, and good old-fashioned hands-on experience with cars, trucks, boats, and more, TechForce and CarsYeah are working to connect young people with viable careers in the automotive sector. Join us by visiting techforce.org today. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. They're talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and first-hand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. So, Vernon, we are back. So before we get into what the auction's all about and some of the very cool items, last night I was up a little too late looking at all the items you've gotten for sale. My wife was going, are you coming to bed? I'll be right there, honey. Uh, Oh, Carol's keeping me up tonight. A different Carol. So she didn't worry about maybe a girlfriend I might have somewhere named Carol. (laughs) I want to talk about you because you mentioned you're a young guy, but you've been into these cars for a long time. So you're a little bit unique in that aspect. So how did this passion all start? And then we'll talk about Vernon Estes Classics. Yeah, I mean, I get that question all the time. And sometimes it just can be a little bit tough to answer because it just it was like it was a snowballing effect. So. When I, I, I've been into cars since, since my earliest memories. I mean, every, my interest from my earliest, earliest days that I can remember were cars, airplanes, boats, military stuff. And I had a mom who really wanted me to read as much as possible, like for academic purposes. And so we made a deal. She would buy any book or magazine that I wanted, as long as I promised to actually read it and not just look at the pictures. And so I, may have stretched the rules a little bit or cheated a little bit in the sense that I would go to Barnes and Noble or Borders or wherever else. And I would just, I would just wreak havoc on the magazine section. And so like from the earliest days of me becoming completely enamored with cars, oddly enough, my taste, I like to tell people sort of like divulged. It sort of like went down over time. Cause like the cars that I found most interesting when I was like 10 years old, as weird as it would be for a 10 year old to be into this stuff were like full American classics and European Grand Prix cars pre-war. Wow. I guess because I was so into that stuff, when I started sort of becoming enthusiastic uh, in my older years, like by the time I was, I don't know, 11 or 12 for like American muscle cars, the, the Shelby American stuff really was attractive to me because at least in my view, those were the only cars 
the cars run by that company, whether it be Cobras or GT40s or Shelby Mustangs, they were the only cars that like raced successfully in the major European uh, endurance races. And, like left a world, they had like a worldwide appeal yeah. uh, and level of success. And so that's why I just became, by the time I was probably 12 years old, it was all Shelby American all the time. Of course, I still love all kinds of cars. And, and frankly, when I go to car shows, I, I spend a lot more time looking at other cars than what I focus in on my daily business, just because I, I see Shelby American product, product every single day. So I spend a lot more time looking at other kinds of cars now when I go to events because I, I, they're, they're a little bit more off the beaten path and unusual and entertaining for me to look at now. But like my main passion and my main focus has always been the cars that Carol Shelby was involved with and Shelby American. So Yeah, very cool. Vernon S's Classics. Tell us about how you started that and what is that business all about? It is the world's most niche used car dealership, I like to joke, <laughs> because like I mean, 95% of the business is 65 to 1967 Shelby Mustangs. Like that's the meat of the business. I also occasionally do Cobras, occasionally do GT40 related stuff, occasionally do other of the rarer versions of like high performance Fords from 1964 to 1970 mostly. But the vast majority of the business is 1965 to 1967 GT350s. Also 500s from 67. I also love 68 through 70s. It's just that I handled quite a few less of those cars over the earlier years. And the reason why the business specializes in that is just because that's my passion. Those are my favorite cars. And I'm just obsessed with finding the best examples that I can find of those for a very kind of small group of clientele. You know, you're you're a guy who figured out pretty early in his life how to uh, put the secret sauce on your days, because a lot of people listening are going, how can you just start doing that? I mean, that's what I want to do. Are your customers really worldwide at this point? Yeah. I mean, the way that I sort of like parlayed it into the cars is that like kind of going back to when I was by the time I was kind of stricken with the Shelby bug at the age of 12, obviously, even, you know, back then 20 years ago, you know, you're talking early 2000s, obviously the cars were significantly less expensive back then, but at the same time, they were still completely unobtainable to a 12 year old, obviously, let alone <laughs> to, 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 when you're 12, how could you even imagine like a, a pathway to being able to ever afford a car that was, uh, that was any, any amount of money, really any above average amount of money. And so I just started collecting Shelby American related literature memorabilia, literally anything I could get my hands on. I was working, I was really fortunate to have a person here in town who hired me to help him restore his cars. Mm -hmm. uh, he had a fairly large collection of Shelby Mustangs and still does. And so I would help him for $10 an hour doing all the odd jobs and the dirty work that has to do with car restoration, which I learned a lot from. And then I would take that $10 an hour, which Obviously, to put that in perspective, at the age of 14, 15, making $10 an hour, I personally felt that I was the richest person on the face <laughs> of the earth. At the time. Sure, yeah. And uh, I would take every penny of that and I would buy Shelby literature, Shelby memorabilia, press kits, posters, keychains, uh, brochures, whatever it is, I, I would buy it. I learned what was original, what wasn't, and I would just collect all of it. And then I became well known for collecting that stuff. And so other people who were interested in it started approaching me. Uh. And they would ask to buy things. And the first time this happened, I had a guy that offered to buy a postcard for me for $45. And I thought to myself, well, I don't really sell anything. But for $45, I know where I can buy nine more of these for $5 a piece. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I sold him the postcard, went and bought more. And that was just, you know, the way that I sort of built up into buying and selling the cars was basically one 
$50 brochure at a time from the age wow. of 14 till the age of 22 when I bought my first Shelby. And funny enough, also a side effect of that is that over the course of buying and selling and kind of becoming a dealer of Shelby American related memorabilia, whether big or small, I was building up an email list of people who were interested in those objects. And that email list, even though it wasn't intended back then, all the people that were interested in those objects, the vast majority of them owned at least one car. Uh, a lot of them owned, obviously, many cars. And so by complete mistake, I assembled an email list of kind of a who's who in the hobby and became friends with all these people in the hobby. It was kind of like my inroad to establishing a clientele list for cars that, again, was never intended, but it was just the way that it worked out. I would love to say that that was like planned out. That would yeah. be, I would love to think that I was that smart to actually plan that out at the age of 14, but it was just completely circumstantial. The cars generally actually earlier, earlier this month, I sold my first car to an in-state customer ever. Uh, for the most part, they all go out of state and out of the country. Sometimes probably 15 to 20% of cars do go out of the country, but you know, they've, they go all over the world and all over the country. And obviously the most interesting thing about the business, I think is meeting the people that, that want them, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it's cool. It's like what I get to do all day. Talk to car people. Sure. Which is pretty darn fun. So that first uh, Shelby you bought, was that a Mustang? It was. It was a 1966 uh, GT350 that was a factory. You know, in, in 66, they built a thousand Hertz cars, around about a thousand Hertz cars. And 800 or so of those cars were black and gold. And around 200 of them were split between red, white, green and blue. And the first car I ever bought was one of the blue Hertz cars. There were approximately 50 of them made, give or take. I think it was more like 55 on the blue ones. It was a factory blue Hertz car that was delivered at SNC Ford in San Francisco after it was used by Hertz and then was a two-owner car. And so I bought that when I was about 22 years old. And that was kind of the first one. I, you know, looking back, I wish that I wish there was technically a way that I could have kept that car because now I would love to have that car back again and and keep it. But Every time I find myself sort of opining for that, I realize that without selling that first car, I would have never been able to take that money and buy another car and right. then buy another car and then buy, you know, and keep rolling that money. So at the end of the day, I, it was the right thing to do, sell that car, but I do miss it. And I would, I would love one day to be able to get that car back. If I had a nickel for every time I heard that story, I could buy myself a real Shelby. So yeah, sure. that's the way it goes. Well, I want to talk a little bit about what's going on at our friends uh, at Meekum. Uh, they are doing what's called an on-time auction, ontime.meekum. Whereas you're selling, as I said at the beginning, 450 items. Now, the first question is, okay, you're selling all these items. Why are you selling all these items? Maybe it goes back to that story you just told us, raising money to buy more items and keep expanding. But uh, let's talk a little bit about this. First of all, why did you choose Meekum to do this with? I mean, I've worked with the Meekum people before and they've always been fantastic to work with. So that was the reason why I chose to work with them is I, I sort of handle if, if people listening might remember the John Ott's box sale yeah. two or three years ago where, where the Ken Miles quote unquote flying Mustang was sold amongst the rest of his collection and literature memorabilia. John was a really close friend of mine and he tasked Meekum with selling, selling his collection. And I was sort of the person with John that like did all the sort of the cataloging and the, a lot of the descriptions and helped spearhead that sale. And so I had already had a lot of experience with the Meekum people and how awesome they were in doing that sale. And then since then, you know, Meekum has their new on time system. I mean, I guess it's not so new now, but it's really sort of gaining a ton of traction lately, it seems like. And 
It's an online auction system that they have that's kind of like a part of their overall website, but sort of its own section of the business. And I've just, I've always been familiar with the people and they get fantastic results. And so that's the reason why I wanted to go with Mika. I mean, the reason for the sale overall is simply because, you know, when I'm buying the memorabilia, I mean, I'm, I'm very busy with the cars anymore. And so I love the memorabilia is kind of my roots. And so I love the memorabilia. In fact, I derive as much joy in finding and buying really, really rare special memorabilia as I do out of the best and most special cars. And so when I'm doing that though, I'm generally going in and somebody is saying, Hey, I've got 500 items and I don't want to sell you the two or three or four items that you really want. I want to sell 500 items at one time. I want to parse it out. And so I generally am having to you know, write a check for everything. And then I sort of parse things out. I keep some things for myself. I parse things out to collectors that I've always worked for and worked with and sells a lot of things publicly through Instagram, through Facebook, through my website on occasion. But, you know, after doing the memorabilia thing for 16 years, you can't help but just have a lot of stuff that while it's, it's great stuff, you just, it just ends up, some of it ends up sitting around. And, uh, that's not most of the things in the sale. Most of the things in the sale are fairly fresh, but I just looked around one day I looked around my office and realized like, why do I have all these great items sitting on shelves as like doubles or triples? Sure. And so I decided that it was a good idea to give the Meekum people a shot and just, just put it all out there and, and, and really just have fun with it because to me, it's fun to go through the process of an auction. I think it's, I think it's fun to watch. I think it's fun to, to actually do the work that, to set it up. And, and so I just figured, you know, let other people enjoy some of these pieces of history, you know, and there's, there's kind of a little bit of everything for every kind of collector. It's not just, it's not just items for people that have been collecting the stuff for 10, 15 years and are after the rarest of the rare, there's stuff for those people. And then there's also plenty of things for the guy who doesn't own a single thing related to Carol Shelby who wants to have something. So it, it should be, it's, it's been a fun sale to be a part of so far, and it should be exciting to watch the stuff end here soon. So the way this works is it's up for a certain period of time. People can go to the website. I'll put a link on Vernon's show notes page, but they're e- it's easy to find. Just go to ontime.mecom.com and you'll see they've got other things going on as well. Vernon's list, you just go in there and you can just scroll through and you can place bids and it ends at a certain date. You've got two end dates for this sale going on. I mentioned at the beginning, but you can see it right online. So in a way, it, I, it it's kind of like I'll attribute it to like going to eBay. You know, most people sure. listings on eBay for about seven days. But here you're at Meekum. These guys not only know what they're doing when it comes to selling cars and parts, but you've got Vernon involved who really knows what he's doing. So you've niched down to that market. And as I was looking through the the items last night, one caught my my eye, and that was uh, lot number CS0247, 65 Shelby DT350 steering wheel, the old Motolito steering wheels, because mine had this steering wheel on it that I thought was so cool. Made in Great Britain. I think right now the bid's up to 611 bucks, and this ends on Tuesday, May 23rd. So if you want one of those cool steering wheels to hang on your steering wall, steering wall a wall, I guess, or hey, I'll put it on your desk in your office. This is pretty cool. Let me ask you this. Um, of all these items that are for sale, tell me maybe one or two that you go, ah, someone's going to be really happy to get this thing. Oh boy. There's, there's <laughs> quite a few. <laughs> That's going to so be harsh. <laughs> there are some really cool pieces. There are multiple posters, for example, in the sale that are de- what I would, what I call dealer only. And what that means is they were sent to dealerships and maybe one or two examples per Shelby dealership. Of course, there were very few authorized Shelby. Not every Ford dealer by a long shot was a Shelby dealer. So 
there were only a couple Shelby dealers per state. So when you have like a dealer only poster, there might have only been a hundred examples of each one ever printed in the first place. And then obviously this stuff was completely worthless back in the day. So if it was a 64, a 1964 dealer poster or a 67 dealer poster, the second most dealerships are done with that stuff, it would have been taped to their showroom window or wall and they would have just ripped it off the wall and thrown it away. So the attrition rate was really high for the stuff. So for example, there's a 19, there's, there's a pair of 1967 Shelby American dealer only posters. They're orange and white in color. Uh, Neither of those posters were ever sold to the general public. They were only sent to authorized dealers. One features a 427 Cobra, and the other one features a 67 Shelby GT350 slash 500 road car is what they would call those. They called those cars the road cars. It's kind of like the tagline. Those posters are sort of like regarded as the holy grail piece or pieces for Shelby American poster collectors. Either one of those posters, in terms of original examples coming to the market, they might only and a, a, singular, a singular example of either one of those posters might hit the market every two years at the most. Wow. The la- in fact, the last 427 Cobra example to sell was in the Otspot collection three years ago, and it sold for $10,800. Oh, so they're, they're serious pieces. Another thing would be a there's a, the very first lot to sell will be a 1965 GT350 owner's manual, which kind of the backstory there, you would think, oh, it's an owner's manual. So clearly every car got one, and it's not that rare. Well, they only made 562 Shelby Mustangs, only 524 streetcars. And so, because wow. obviously our models wouldn't have likely had an owner's manual included. And then on top of that, Shelby American never thought that they were going to produce that many 65s in the first place because they were obviously kind of the prototypical race car for the street. You know, the loud side pipes, they were very expensive relative to a normal Mustang. So they never thought that they would produce that many more outside of the, the FIA and SCCA homologation requirements. And so... It's rumored that only about half of the cars in the first place got owner's manuals from the factory because they just straight up ran out. In fact, I know people from back in the period that when they bought a 65 Shelby brand new and it didn't have an owner's manual with it, they would write into the factory and they'd request one and the factory would send them a 66 owner's manual because they didn't have any 65 manuals. (laughs) And so as, as crazy as it seems, 65 owner's manuals are now not only for literature and memorabilia collectors, but obviously for guys that own those cars, they are basically unobtainable when they're with a car it rarely gets separated from the car because people want to keep that stuff with the car obviously and so the opportunity to buy one of those and put it with your car almost never comes around and that's again that's one of those items that if you don't know if you're not real familiar with shelby memorabilia you might find the end price on one of those to be a little bit of a head scratcher but it's sort of one of the holy grails uh, of all collecting and then a, a third item i would point out is well, a third kind of grouping of items is that if you search through the auction, there's a search bar. And if you search Carol Shelby race entry, you'll come up with three 1950s uh, SCCA Eagle Mountain race entries from like wow. the the heart of Carol Shelby's racing career. Um, you know, 50s and early 60s Carol Shelby related on all these items are double signed by Carol Shelby as the driver on the front and also signed as the driver on the back. Oh my gosh. From the fifties. And then actually another thing that I'll mention, cause I can't believe I almost forgot to mention these. These are some of the star items of the sale. There are three original Shelby American pencil sketches. So basically blueprints, except they're not blueprints in the sense that they were fully printed out. These are the original engineering pencil sketches that were done by Chuck Cantwell, the father of the GT 350 at Shelby American. Wow. And they show one of them is the front view of how they flared the fenders on the R models. Oh, cool. uh, 
The second one is the rear flare of an R model. Again, completely signed, drafted, hand-drawn in pencil by Chuck Cantwell. And then the third one is really interesting. The third one is for a set of parts that weren't supposed to exist. It's for a set of fiberglass front fenders for a GT350R model, which it would be... If you would say, well, that sounds highly illegal, I would say, <laughs> sure does. Yeah. But uh, these are an original an original pencil sketch of those that were signed off by Chuck Cantwell and done by Alex Skeet Kerr, who was the second in command of the Shelby American Design Department under Pete Brock. I had that exact sketch with me in person the last time I saw Chuck Cantwell. Oh, man. And I showed it to him. And I said, Chuck, I didn't know that there was ever such a thing as fiberglass front fenders on a GT350R. And he just kind of gave me a kind of a wry smile and just said that must have happened after hours and I didn't get paid for overtime. So I don't remember. <laughs> I and know, that was the end of that conversation. I know nothing. I know nothing. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is really cool. And again, as I was scrolling through here, I saw you even got some Bill Neal greeting cards. Bill was a guest on the show back when he was still with us, the late Bill Neal, the artist. And uh, I met Bill years ago. I hired him to design a bunch of things for us that we put his artwork on. Um, sure. And I've even got one of his pieces of art hanging on my wall in my house. He was just such a such a nice gentleman. At the time he was on my show, he was the oldest guest on the show. And uh, I always remember him, just a good old Texas boy, very friendly, very kind, got to see him many times uh, at Pebble Beach and so forth. So again, listeners, you got to go check this out. Even if you're maybe not in the mood to buy something, but you love these cars, you will be in the mood to buy something when you start going through this. Uh, just be careful because some of these things are really rare. They're going to go for some good prices. So I know this is going to be a great auction for you. So again, uh, check it out at MeekumOnTime.com, Meekum.com. And of course, you can go to Vernon Estes classics.com his website and you'll see a lot of the things that vernon has there so vernon we got to talk a little bit more about your personal side of cars and so forth but one of the things i like to ask are people that are maybe mentors to you now you've been around this world for a long time Uh, dare i say carol shelby is the consummate mentor or inspiration that drove you into what you're doing yeah, I mean, Carol Shelby was kind of my hero growing up, obviously. So, I mean, aside from Carol Shelby, I mean, I was like, as a kid, I would lay in bed at night and would fall asleep thinking about what it would have been like to be at Le Mans in 1966 or what it would have been like, what it would have been like to be at uh, Lake Garnett in 1963 yeah. or Shelby American had an important victory. I mean, that's like other kids were probably thinking about superheroes or the sports <laughs> yes. they were playing. And I was like, I was, these people, the visions in my head of them were that those were like my heroes growing up. I mean, I actually had the, I was very blessed growing up. I had a lot of unusual encounters that were complete happenstance, lots of like unusual events that sort of like fostered my passion for this stuff. And I still tend, I still have a lot of these experiences. So like one of those was that, you know, I wanted to do some sort of internship to be able to put uh, that on like a college resume to look good on a college resume. And so I happened to know through the various online forums, the president of Shelby American, at least know in the sense that we post on the same forum would constantly reply to each other. So I messaged that person through the forum one day and I said, hey, do you guys have a summer summer internship program? And the president of Shelby American responded and said, no, we don't but we'd make one if you want to come out here for the summer. <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I, I asked my parents, I said, Hey, uh, there's an opportunity. I might be able to go out to Shelby for the summer. 
and work there and have kind of an internship experience. And of course, my mom's first question is, where's Shelby located? And I said, well, Las Vegas, mom. And and of course, my dad was like thrilled. He thought it was a really cool opportunity. And my mom was like sort of scratching her head, like we're going to let a 16 or 17 year old go kid to Vegas for this. Go to, go to Vegas for two months. Yeah. And my dad made a good point. It's like any of the trouble you can get into in Vegas, you can't do as a 17 year old anyway. So it really didn't matter. I mean, in fact, like I ended up going out to Vegas. The company put me up in a company house. Wow. They gave me a company car. Oh, my gosh. Which was probably a lapse in judgment. <laughs> not that I'm going to admit to anything here. Of course. But uh, I, I may or may not in like the eight weeks that I was down there gone through probably 20 tanks of gas. So you can probably <laughs> do, the, do the math there. Maybe or maybe uh, not. <laughs> but that's but that's the thing is that, you know, actually the worst part of that experience, not that there was any particularly bad part of that experience, but the only thing that was kind of not so great about it was that like on the weekends there was nothing to do because you're a 17 year old in Las Vegas. And like, there's nothing for you to do if you don't know anybody there, obviously. And, and but like during the weeks, it was like a constant car show and got to be involved in a lot of things. And, and along with that, like right before that experience, I ended up meeting Carol Shelby at Barrett Jackson and sitting with him in the skybox and watching the auction with him. Oh, like my a, gosh. Wow. So, yeah. And I was, of course, scared to death. So I didn't say much and he didn't say much, but he was very nice to me. And uh, I was just lucky to get to sit with him for probably 30 minutes. Wow. Nice. And watch the auction with him. So, oh, you know, this is a great lesson for listeners out there. Don't be afraid to reach out, especially if you're young and if you want to get involved in something, because those of us in the car hobby love to keep this going. And I've heard this story over and over when a young person just reaches out and asks the question. You know, you never know. If you don't ask, you don't get. If, if I'd known that in high school, I'd had a lot more dates. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I didn't know that secret back then either. Probably better for me. How about challenges? When you have a business that is so niched down, so tight, are there some challenges with that or has that not been a problem? Oh no, there's challenges in every business. So I think, <laughs> yeah. I think being an entrepreneur, I don't, I don't even necessarily think there's much of a distinction between what you do. If you're an entrepreneur, I think as an entrepreneur, one of the biggest, you know, one of the biggest challenges is staying motivated all the time because like what happened yesterday, whether you bought and sold a good car yesterday, uh, that no longer matters all that much. It's about what you do today. Today is what determines tomorrow. Today's effort is what determines tomorrow. So you know, the challenge, one of the challenges is constantly staying on the hunt for great cars. I mean, one of the overall challenges that not just people like me are dealing with, but I think collectors at large are dealing with now is that if you want to buy the best cars in the world, if you're going to be really picky about, and that's not to say when I say best cars in the world, I frankly can't stand it when somebody says they have the best of something in the world, because if there's they made over 2,066 Shelbys and every year three or four of them sell that are the best in the world. There's, you know, but cars get to a certain quality level where like they're the cars that I really try to buy and sell. I try to buy and sell really clean, honest, highly original examples and finding those cars for anybody, whether you're a dealer in the market like me or if you're the end user, if you're a collector, finding those cars has gotten harder by multiples uh, over just like the last five years. Sure. So like five years ago, it was much easier to buy a great car every couple weeks. Now it's much harder to do that. And also because it's harder to do that, it's like a, it's sort of a vicious cycle because collectors know how hard it is to find great cars. And so 
it used to be that it wasn't as hard. And so when a collector bought a great car, sometimes that car would find its way back onto the market again in a couple of years because they were always they wanted to experience something new. You know, most collectors, even if you're a pure collector, you want to experience a little bit of everything before you're done in the hobby. I mean, that's why I do what I do is because I want to taste everything. But when collectors know that it's getting harder and harder to find really high quality stuff, what happens? I mean, most of the people that are buying these cars are successful people. They don't need really to sell much of anything. And so people are holding on to the cars for much longer, it's become much harder to convince them to resell cars if they bought them, whether it's five months after they bought it or 15 years. Because they, they just know that if like, say, a 66 GT350 four speed, a guy five years ago, a guy might have bought one of those and let it go if he was made a decent offer on the car because he knew that he could just go get another one at some point. Yeah. They really weren't that hard to come across literally only five years ago. And now finding a really good one of those is really hard. And so that same guy now knows that if he sells the one he's got, he is going to have to scrape and claw and look under every rock and in every dark corner, just like I do on a daily basis. And it's not so easy. And so they would just rather not sell. So that's that's the biggest challenge. Just best cars don't circulate as much anymore. And so it's harder and harder to find the best stuff. Well, especially, uh, yeah, the last three to five years, you said exactly. The collector car market is, in many sectors, exploding. And also with the uncertainty with the economy, people are going, well, I'll keep what I've got over here. I know I'll always get some money for those cars. I'll just chuck sure. them away. And they don't have to sell. You know, these are the kind of things. But on the flip side, too, older guys, I'll call myself older guy, we're starting to age out. And, you know, you got guys that are 10 years my senior or more that are passing away. Their families have these collections. and. They let them all go. They want, you know, like the kids don't want the cars or the wives or whoever it might be, and they let them go so they do pop up. But now they can see what they're really worth because everything's out there. It's exposed. Sure. So there are very few cars that are selling. I get a call once in a while from somebody that, hey, my son, my husband passed away. Who should I call so I don't give this car away? And sure. uh, so I do my best to p align them with all the right people. And so they get the best price that they can get. Special vehicle stories. Is that first Shelby really your special vehicle story? Oh, man, I've, I'm lucky that I have. <laughs> You've had so many. I'll tell you something that happened recently that, I mean, this is sort of something that keeps a guy like me going in this hobby. At this point, about a year ago, one of my best customers is the gentleman who bought uh, 5R002 uh, most recently at Meekum. And that's the, the Ken Miles flying Mustang car. Kind of his prerogative in buying that car is obviously that he appreciates the historic aspect of it. But he is one of these guys, like a lot of collectors are, that they want to put the cars out there for everybody to experience, not just hide them away. So he wants people to hear it running. He wants people to experience the car. He wants people to sit in it. He wants people that don't own it, that we know to drive it. He wants to share the car at basically all costs. And so he calls me and he says, Hey, I want to go to the next SAC convention, which last year was in Indianapolis. And so I said, great, what do you want to take? And he said, well, I want to take, uh, the Ken miles car. And I said, fantastic. And he said, I want to do open track with it. And I said, this is a car that had a division one SAC restoration. So all original parts, tires, hoses, Whoa. belts, everything yeah. original one. Ooh. Now, you know, but at the same time, an R model really should be driven and used and heard because there's nothing that sounds better than a G350R at full chat around a track. And so I said, that's fantastic. It's a great idea. And so uh, he said, yeah, but it hasn't really been sorted for track use. Do you mind doing that? Oh, wow. Uh, and I said, I would love to do that, but I do not have access to a racetrack. And he said, that's no problem. It's got a license plate on it. <laughs> so 
he sent it to Kansas City. And so my kind of like special car story, at least from this last year, was that I was sort of tasked with getting that car ready for the SAC convention. Wow. And uh, the way that I did that was by driving it 100 miles on Kansas City public roads, which was interesting to say the least. <laughs> it was pretty fun. So it was like sort of an experience that I'll never forget. I mean, because when you're you're in that car driving it, uh, you just think of all the things that happened in that car, right. around that car, all the people that the people that built yeah. the car, the people that drove the car, the people that conceived of the car. I mean, that there's a lot of cars that people might put in sort of the category as being some of the most like historically significant Shelby American related products ever. I mean, some of the more important GT40 race cars, obviously, some of the most important Cobras. And in terms of like Shelby Mustangs, that car is like, to me at least, is it's the first R model ever built. It's the prototype for all the R models. It's the second 65 built because the streetcar had to be built first for promotional reasons. That car won in its first race. It accounted for about half of the points in the 65 season that they ended up winning the national championship with. And it's the car that Ken Miles uh, exclusively drove. It's the only Shelby Mustang that Ken Miles drove in competition, I believe. So a very important car. I mean, almost an experience that almost brings you to tears, like kind of gets you emotional when you're, when you actually get to experience that car. So I was very lucky to be able to do that. Well, having vin race vintage cars, I mean, having an all original car that you must've had to take a lot of those original parts off, set them aside. Put, I'm guessing that's how you did it. Cause why would you dare risk you know, like you don't run old tires on a track. I mean, sure. No, yeah. yeah. And that's, yeah. We, we put modern tires on it and some other stuff to make it. It was actually funny. We were, I was teasing everybody uh, as they were looking at in the show and shine section of the SAC convention because it was just open track. It wasn't like real serious. We didn't want to put it out there with like all the front running cars that are running things, running engines that absolutely never existed in 1965, whereas this car was built to the exact spec that it was actually originally built to. So it was just running open track and it was running fairly hard, but it was running with all kinds of other cars and really well spaced out. Um, but in order to, to make it past tech, you know, we had to put a catch can in it and we didn't have like a, we just didn't order, uh, some sort of specialized catch can for the radiator. So we just got like a big monster energy drink can <laughs> and popped a hole in it and put the radiator overflow tube into it. And so we zip tied that to the radiator support and we would tease people that that was, uh, that that was factory the whole time. So it was, <laughs> it was, it was a great time. And oh, we, Carol like said, drank out of that bottle. <laughs> Exactly. And, you know, like, like I said, I mean, during that convention, I mean, anybody who wanted to sit in that car got to sit and anybody who wanted to hear it run, got to hear it run. Everybody got to see it go around the track. And that's really the way that it, that's the way it's supposed to be. What a great collector to do that. That's the, yeah. that's the spirit of it. So I always crawl into my guest's head. I'm a bit of a car psychologist. I'm kind of guessing where I'm going to go here with, though, with you. I typically ask people what kind of car would they be if they were reincarnated or manifest as a car. I mean, you're so tied to this you got to be a Shelby somehow, I would think. I, I would have to be a Shelby. I, you know, I was thinking a lot about this question. Like, I don't know. I don't equate myself to any particular Shelby, frankly. But like, I, I think that uh, if I was to be reincarnated as a car, I think I'd choose to be reincarnated as either 66 GC350 or 67 GT350. And the only reason I say that is because those are the cars that I love to drive the most. I mean, a 65 is obviously a great car too, but I, I just kind of chose 66 or 67 350s because they're a little bit more approachable. They're kind of the quintessential Shelby Mustang. They're the two cars that I tell anybody who asks me, if somebody comes to me and says, I want to buy one Shelby Mustang 
and I want it to kind of fit all needs. I mean, 65s are sort of the quintessential, the most kind of, I guess, blue chip of the three, kind of the rarest, the highest end, whatever you want to call it. But you can get 95% of the way there or more with a 66 with a set of side exhaust on it for a lot less money. And it's just sort of the quintessential all-around car. I mean, 65s are great cars, but they don't have back seats. And they only came in one color. And they're a very specific, you know, car. Whereas a 66 is sort of the do-it-all. It's got a back seat. Uh, 67 is the same way. They just have a longer wheelbase. And they've got a lot more styling. I I love, frankly, one of my favorite cars in the whole Shelby range is the 67 GT350 four-speed. And it seems like I've been preaching what a great car that was for five, six years now. And it seems like with current market trends that other people are starting to realize what great cars those are too. They're twice as rare as a GT 567. Uh, they run great. Uh, they're easy to work on. They have all the style. I mean, that that's really the ultimate like middle ground between some of the later 68 to seventies that are more styling, but standard Ford cars underneath versus the 65 Shelby that's a K-coded heart and sort of a race car. The 67 350 sits like right in the middle of those of those two polar opposites. So Yeah, very cool. How about a great book? Is there a great book that you'd like to share with our listeners? I am sure this book has been shared before. It's a very popular car book, but the book that sort of stood out to me is The Last Open Road by B.S. Levy. I just, I love that book. I love that book because like, I love the early as I love early SCCA racing history. It's kind of, that's one of the ways that I sort of get away from the Shelby stuff a lot is I love, like, I love like doing research and looking at photos and looking at cars that raced early in the SCCA. And that book is, it's such an interesting book because it's a fictional book that's based on the earliest days of the SCCA. It's just that basically all the the names and the terminology are sort of played with a little bit, but it's like, I, I find that era of post-war the earliest days of american road racing i think that that's even though shelby american wasn't around at that time when i'm reading about that sort of race history that's like the i wish i could go back in time and like go to the first race at watkins Glen, one of the races on the on the west coast you know that would be yeah um, bert's been a guest on the show a couple times in fact he did a audio version of that book where he did a masterful job with sound effects and all sorts of different voices and yours truly here got to be uh one of the voices in that Very audio cool. book, which was pretty fun. I was pretty honored to be asked to do that. So let's go on the ultimate drive. For a guy who's been on many ultimate drives, I, I could say going back to that 17-year-old who got handed the keys to a car and got to spend a summer in Las Vegas playing with Shelby's and, and learning about them. Here's the deal. I'm going to provide you with any car in the world, any car in the world. Don't worry about the cost. I'm footing the bill. You can take it anywhere and you can go with anybody, even somebody who's no longer with us. So if you want to take Carol or Ken or whoever, what does the ultimate drive look like for a guy who's been around a lot of ultimate drives? Yeah, I mean, I would say that that uh, the Ken Miles R model drive from last year is, I guess that's up there if you're talking about ultimate in the sense of something that's like highly desirable or rare. But frankly, like for me, in my sort of quote unquote off time, I mean, I'm, I'm blessed to do something for a living that most people just consider a hobby. So like my off time, the weird thing about doing this for a living, as I'm sure you, you share sort of the same sort of hobby slash business relationship is that in my off time, all I want to do is be around cars too, but like in a different way. So like I'm around the Shelby stuff all the time. And so I don't really, I love driving some of the most historic stuff and I love kind of dealing in it and being around it. But like when I'm in my off time, I actually am sort of into some things that are not all that Shelby related. They're a lot more approachable and they're just fun. 
my ultimate drive, if I'm thinking about something that I really want to do, I mean, I have a 66 Bronco, what they call a U13 Roadster, which was a the first three years of Bronco production, they only built 5,000 of these cars. They had fiberglass door inserts. They had no radio. They had no roof. They had obviously no doors, no, 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 you know, just a fold down windshield. The vast majority of them were, were six cylinders or three on the trees. So they're this little roadster that was meant to be like a ranch rig. And so my ultimate drive is to have the windshield folded down on that and my three kids in the back seat and my wife and just go get ice cream because like <laughs> that car. I mean, you can say that that, you know, a lot of people might envision that car and think that it's slow, which it is very, very slow. But like with the windshield down at 45 miles an hour, yeah. it's as exhilarating as 5R002 at 125 miles of an hour. Of course. Yeah. Because it's you feel like you're at the end of the world at 45 or 50 in that thing. And it's yep. just it's a rolling smile. It's springtime yellow with a red rocker stripe and it's it's original paint and it's kind of beat up and ratty. And uh, I've owned I've owned it for four years and I have never wiped it off, which is fantastic. <laughs> That's what I love. It's like I've owned that car for four or five years and I have never, ever subjected it to any kind of detail spray or anything because it's just like I drive it to the hardware store. I drive it to get ice cream. I drive it to do anything as long as the weather's decent. It's just like a fun car to it's a fun car just to put around and it's something that nobody ever sees. It's just like I, I like to call it like a smile on wheels. Yeah. Oh, definitely. You you brought back a fun memory. My dad had a 49 MGTC and the windshield folded down on that thing. And every once in a while I say, dad, put the windshield down. And he bought us these uh, aviator goggles from the old time military surplus store. And we'd put those on. Of course, they barely fit my head because I was only six years old. Uh, But you felt like you're going a thousand miles an hour in a race car, even though an MGTC is far from being a race car. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. It's all about how it feels, though. Yeah. Those are great cars. What a great story. Well, Vernon, you have taken us on a wonderful ride today, and I can't thank you enough for doing this with me. I want to do a shout out to our friends at Meekum, David Morton and Melissa Smith. Uh, They've been so great to bring you to the show today. Uh, Before I let you go, could you share some words of inspiration or thoughts of advice for people out there that wish they were having as much fun with cars as you are? Yeah. I mean, I would say like in terms of like a business related quote. I mean, I two things really have always stuck out to me. The first is fast nickels over slow dimes. I love that saying. And the second is if you if you don't go, you'll never know. I mean, a lot of my business is asking questions that you're pretty sure the answer will be no to. That it's about visiting people even when you think there's not going to be any opportunity there yeah. or that there's not likely to be. And so if if you don't know, you'll if you don't go, you'll never know is sort of like the basis for I think a lot of successful careers in the classic car world. I mean, you never know if meeting somebody or going to visit somebody will lead to doing business with them or meeting somebody else, or you just never know what anything will lead to. You just always have to put yourself out there. You always have to try, you know, which is simple to say, but like most of the good things that have happened in my career have come simply from trying and not being afraid to be either told no or like rejected in a way or or whatever else. And then the kind of the third one, one of one of my kind of one of my other favorite quotes is that it's harder to be kind than it is to be clever. So <laughs> just always trying to treat people well in the hobby, you know, and be positive and just be like I like we've talked about. I'm technically a dealer in this hobby, and I feel like sometimes that that term that kind of job description gets kind of a bad rap. And frankly, it's it's fairly well earned by a lot of people, but. I'm really just more an enthusiast that just like, I just want to make my living being around these cars, just like everybody who's in the hobby purely as a hobbyist. They want to spend as much time as they can around the cars and being involved. And I, there's what I enjoy most about the hobby is not only the cars, but the people that I meet through it. 
So I think just having a positive disposition and like an enthusiasm for the cars is just very important. Well, you're the quintessential guy who's figured out the secret sauce of life, and you figured it out at a young age. So my hat's off to you. Bravo for that. And I love that if you don't go, you don't know, or you never know, your story about uh, reaching out to Shelby saying, do you have an internship? We do now. I mean, there you go. You know, if you don't ask, you don't get. You can learn a lot more about Vernon's business at Vernon. Estes, E-S-T-E-S, classics.com. And of course, go to ontime.mecum.com and you'll find his auction. Uh, make sure you get there today or tomorrow because this auction isn't forever. Uh, you're going to find some things that you want to have for your collector, collector shelf, uh, your wall or whatever. Maybe you're lucky enough to have a car that needs some parts. You're going to find them there. And of course, you can reach out to Vernon anytime and ask some questions because he's happy to talk to people in the Shelby world. Vernon, thanks for being so generous today with your time and your expertise. And thanks for sharing your time with us today and, and this auction. This is so cool. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks, Mark. It's been it's been a ton of fun and, and been a real pleasure and an honor to be on your podcast. Today. Well, thank you. This has been great. Yeah, you brought back memories of my Mustang. I may need to get another one of those someday. I'll give you a I call first. I know you do. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> thanks so much. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.